Mets fans, prepare yourselves to get Metsmerized. Hello and welcome to episode 11 of the Get Metsmerized podcast, presented as always by MetsmerizedOnline.com. I'm your host, Sal Manzo, and this week, Mike and I are joined by Disha Thozar, Mets beat reporter for the New York Daily News. Disha gave her takeaways from the Billy Eplick press conference, Noah Syndergaard and Aaron Loop's departures to the Angels, and much more. So let's jump right into it. We're joined now by Disha Thozar, Mets beat reporter for the New York Daily News. Disha, thanks so much for taking the time to speak with us tonight. Yeah, of course. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. Well, uh, we know the Mets finally have a general manager. It's been long awaited. It's felt like uh, years and years at this point. The Mets had a press conference the other day. Steve Cohen, Sandy Alderson and Billy Epler announcing the new general manager. Disha, I just wanted to get your initial thoughts and takeaways from the press conference. Yeah, I think, you know, overall, my takeaway was we've done this before and recently I think everyone was kind of going through the motions in, in a almost practiced way um, because they happen so often and and even for that reason Epler's comments came off a little okay well we've heard it before and right? it was all very hopeful optimistic and um, I think at this point even the people going through all of it knew nothing can really be proven until they actually do it they can say all they want Cohen especially I thought was interesting that he said he's willing to spend in free agency um he said that last year too right I think that was the expectation as soon as he came on was that well he's the richest owner in baseball are you going to spend he's like of course I'm going to spend and he said that again this year he did of course last offseason spend on that huge contract for Lindor um but I'm not sure that this a a contract like Lindor is not going to fix the Mets this offseason and I think for sure Mets fans know that um so him saying he's willing to spend is all all great but he needs to prove it in, in multiple ways um, so I thought that was interesting. And I think Epler came off super smart, super credible. Um, I think he said all the right things, but the whole tone of the press conference had this sort of, all right, well, we've heard it before. Now let's see what you do. Yeah, I agree. I, I agree with Disha. I mean, we've heard it before last off season with Cohen saying they're going to spend and um, outside of Lindor, I, I don't know that spending is, really what I'd call what they did last off season. I mean, they got McCann who was the second best catcher on the market instead of someone like Rio Muto. And um, they didn't get another pitcher when they could have got another starting pitcher. And at the deadline, they obviously didn't do anything in terms of adding salary either. So I think Mets fans are definitely in a wait and see. Um, And the Mets are going to have to spend. They have so many holes, like we've talked about, Sal, on this roster, um, in the pitching staff, in the outfield, third base, um, a reliever too. So they're going to, he's going to have to spend the wall. It's going to have to be open. And um, to the other point, I do think um, Epler came across as professional and um, smart kind of what Keith law talked to us about last year, uh, last week on the podcast that he kind of fills that role um, and showed that he's not really going to have an issue handling the New York media. He has some feel for being in New York from his time with the Yankees. So I think, I mean, I, I think overall it was pretty much as expected. There wasn't any big surprises or anything like that. Definitely. And Disha, I like what you said. It, it felt a lot of we've seen this before. This is great. Uh, what's going to happen now? Because I think uh, a lot of Met fans probably share that sentiment. I know I feel that way. Everything just feels like a revolving door of mediocrity and below um, the last decade plus. So um, I definitely hear you there. And, you know, it is interesting. I said last week, uh, you know, we had Keith Law on the show as far as that. That was my main takeaway is that they're going to spend this offseason, at least that they're, they're going to try to. Um, and Mike, you mentioned all the halls the Mets have to fill. It just feels like endless at this point. It feels like more positions keep popping up or something. Um, but, you know, spending is great. But can you do that? You know, it's so able to spend to fill all these holes, um, you know, be interesting to see. But going back to the press conference, Disha, you, I thought, did a great job asking some tough questions that day, particularly about Billy Epper's decision-making while with the Angels. 
and in particular, even more the decision to hire Mickey Callaway as a pitching coach, even after the report came out about his horrible behavior. Uh, were you surprised at all by the Mets brass, like lack of a response to that? Oh, not at all surprised. I think my basis here is that if you're asking the Mets a tough question, you can expect them not to give a straight answer. And that's exactly what they did. I actually had to rework that question a few times to make sure they couldn't sidestep it. Um, so even though I knew kind of it was tough in nature, it really shouldn't be. I mean, for all that they've put the Mets fans through in the past 11 months alone, um, these are standard questions. And I've written about this in the past, and it's a shame that that it keeps being put on women in particular to ask them. Um, I know after I asked about Mickey Calloway, someone else from the Post chimed in and kind of offhandedly followed up, which was great. Um, but again, it led to just a poor response from the Mets. And and that's just really the basis. I'm not I would be surprised if they gave more than that, if they gave any form of substance on these critical, important questions of their culture. It's not as if they're coming from left field. They've had questionable hires that came to light in the past 11 months alone. We're talking super recent. Um, so it continues, if anything, to surprise me that they're not reworking them better. And of course, this comes down to very simply a good PR hire. Like this is what we're talking about in terms of just managing communication, even even if they, in, in a way, it's almost good that, you know, they're saying what they're saying with the bad PR, because then we know what they're saying and, and where it comes from. Whereas the alternative is saying all the right things and doing things wrong. Um, so I think what we're seeing is is how they feel. So in that way, they're, they're being um, kind of, open with, with, with the public, but, but what sucks about it is that they think they're doing a great job. And um, as we all know, they're not. Yeah, I think uh, like Disha said, and yeah, it was a great question. I'm glad that she brought it up. Um, the, the Mets would be pretty stupid if they didn't think the Mickey Calloway question was coming. Um, so for them to basically from Cohen, Alderson, and even Epler, you essentially just got one sentence answers with no substance whatsoever, which, yeah, it's, it's obviously disappointing and even more disappointing given what the Mets have gone through um, the last 11 months with Jared Porter, um, Zach Scott, Ryan Ellis, um, David Newman. I mean, the list is fairly lengthy of hires that have had issues and um, so, yeah, it's obviously an issue that needs to get out there. And I'm glad that Disha brought it up. And I think it's important that it keeps getting brought up until the Mets actually have something of substance to give us that they're actually addressing these issues. And, and to that point, I think, you know, I, I did, I saw all the praise on Twitter. I'm super thankful for it, but I had more. And I think that's what sucks about these Zoom conferences is you're very limited to, I'm, I was surprised I got two questions because they'll, it's in the Mets PR's power to kind of just mute you after you're done asking the question. So it's why you can't really hear me saying thank you or, or anything like that when someone answers. But um, I also wanted to ask them if, if they thought they had a thorough search, if, if they really interviewed um, who they thought were qualified candidates and um you know again we're stuck with like this mid-40s gm who's a white male who like we kind of expected to be the gm from the start and they reached out to raquel ferreira okay great i know raquel ferreira um personally we've we've spoken in the past i know she doesn't want this gm job um so if i know it i find it hard to believe the mets didn't know it you know so i do think to some extent they were just kind of ticking off the boxes so that is another question that was just left unsaid and and honestly it's disappointing that no one else asked it because it can't just be on me to be asking these questions. Everyone sort of needs to step up. No. Yeah. That's another great point. Um, and we talked about this a little bit with Keith law. He mentioned the fact that they really didn't actually interview any minority um, candidates. Raquel Ferreira wasn't a real interview. They just reached out basically so they could say that they reached out like Disha is saying, she didn't have any intention of leaving they put it out there that they were asking Gene Afterman for the fact that, oh, hey, we're looking, we're talking to this woman for GM when she's been saying for years that she has no interest in that type of job. Yep. So, it, yeah, it's it's disappointing that the Mets keep doing this. It's a kind of a thing under Sandy Olsen and Corn Ferry, who helped them with the hiring process. I mean, they're known for this type of stuff. So it's it's disappointing. and. Um, Hopefully, hopefully when the Mets um, continue to round out the front office and make some other hires, we, we see some changes in that area.
but I mean, <laughs> I don't think there's any reason to expect it. Exactly. No, absolutely. I, you know, I agree with, the, you know, everything you both said, I know it's come out the, I think over the last few days, just kind of in general, as far as a lack of, you know, diversity in the Mets front office in that respect. And, you know, it, it, it's a little strange as far as, like you said, with, with uh, Raquel Ferreira, just kind of like the, the half, half reach out approach so we can put it out, you know, um, on Twitter or whatever that we, that we reached out when I've said, you know, I think a couple of weeks ago, Mike, how, you know, I think it's ridiculous how she wasn't a serious hire. Um, you know, the Mets have been really bad for a long time, so they shouldn't be, you know, as far as picky or anything else, if someone can do the job, they should be brought in and, um, you know, evaluated as such and, you know, brought into, to hopefully run the team. Obviously it's not the case with her. Um, but you know, it just kind of feels more of the same there. It was really weird. Like you said, Mike, that they didn't seem prepared about the Callaway question, because how could you not? Obviously, he managed the Mets and Billy Epler then hired him for when he was, you know, working for another team. Just weird stuff like that seems to still follow the Mets. I wish, you know, that was a little different, but I guess, you know, kind of pivoting off that to like the baseball side. What can Met fans expect now with Billy Epler? I know Keith Law said last week, you know, he thinks a lot of the quote unquote, maybe failure on success that they had, you know, here, Billy Epler had in Anaheim. A lot of it he thought had to do with maybe the owner. Um, but Disha, I wanted to get your thoughts on, you know, what you think Met fans can expect from uh, from Billy Epler. Yeah, I think you can't really look at what Epler has done in the past in a vacuum. You do have to consider his owner, who was also super meddling, like the Wilpons, where Mets fans are obviously um, familiar with, and that sort of role and that pressure that an ownership like that can provide. And while Steve Cohen does have that perception um, that he comes off like he's super involved in, in, in honesty of what I've asked about, he's not like that at all. And he likes to let his employees do what they want. And when he needs to step in, um, he can step in. So it will be interesting to see how Epler operates under that dynamic. Um, but again, he's not as free as, as he may have been, we may, he may have hoped he had been when he left the Angels um, because he's still reporting to Sandy Alderson. Um, so he is at this kind of juncture where he can't really, even he was, I thought it was interesting in his presser that he said he has some manager names in mind, but he wants to see where the Mets already, the list that they had and, and the fundamental uh, qualities that they wanted a manager first. Of course, it's all fair. I think it's great that he's doing that. Um, but that in itself shows that he doesn't have a lot of autonomy. I think he needs to still, at the end of the day, rely on these plans that the existing operations group had. But regardless of all that, regardless of all the front office drama, I do think that he has shown really good signings in Shohei and Anthony Rendon, who take kind of the, the headlines, but he has tried, right? And not in like a Brody way where he's doing these one-year deals that are not going to work out. And we all know it before they even come, like the Hector Santiago, which is a mess. But I think like Epler knows for sure what he's doing. And he is now given that opportunity, at least that leeway to prove to the Mets um, that he can do it. And I think he even needs to prove to himself that he can do it after the failures that he saw with the Angels. And from what I see, saw and have spoken to him since his enthusiasm is generally very encouraging um, because as we've seen even in recent years that can be hard to come by in flushing so he is super enthused just to fix the meds and and i think that can be a starting point there's a whole lot to fix mike i want your yeah. thoughts as well yeah i mean outside of the the kind of drama that we've talked about i i do think that um there's some positivity about Epler that we can take going forward. Like Deisha said, he's handed out some big contracts before. One of the free agents we've talked about is Seiya Suzuki from Japan. Obviously, he's been able to, he scouted Otani and was able to help get Otani. So I think, I mean, there's some positives there. I mean, the Mets have been pretty much non-existent in the international market for a while now. So I think maybe that's something positive to look for. Epler helping out in um and yeah j overall I mean he he had this energy about him um during the press conference that I, I think was a positive note and I mean like you said he he was already got a bunch of texts from agents and he was gonna have to get right back to him that night and I mean yeah he's got to get to work soon um they still haven't signed anyone yet and starting pitching starting to come off the board a couple of relievers are off the board now and we've got the impending lockout coming too. So, I mean, he, he's going to have to use that uh, positivity and energy to start getting to work very soon. 
Yeah, and also to Michael's point, I think you bring up a good point that he did get a lot of texts from agents already, and that's because he's familiar in this role. And I think that is also something the Mets have lacked, at least right in the past couple of years under Brody and Jared Porter and Zach Scott, where it really felt like they were starting fresh and the connections were not fully there. Um, of course, with Jared Porter, he did have some connections with previous clubs, especially Red Sox, Cubs and Diamondbacks. But at least the perception now, at least my expectation with Epler is his skin in the game for the five years as GM should at least put the Mets a step ahead of where they were the last two years. It's really interesting, you know, and agreed. You know, I think uh, well, Keith Law actually made the comment last week as far as he thinks that if the, the search wasn't so weirdly public, if the Mets didn't make it so weirdly public, people probably wouldn't be as upset with the Epler hire. Um, you know, he also made the point as far as how experienced he is with, you know, player development, um, especially in the minor leagues. And I think at the very least, I think he could bring some stability there. And that's something the Mets desperately need. Um, so, you know, I'm excited to see what he can do. I think year one may be a wash just because he's so far behind the eight ball at this point and basically has a week to, you know, try and sign free agents till there's a lockout. But, you know, we'll see. Like you said, Mike brought a lot of passion and energy so hopefully he can hold it because uh it's gonna need it uh while he's here but you know i wanted to transition from that to another spot the mets need to fill is the, their manager position uh disha uh you know i just want to know if there were some names that you've heard maybe that might be in the mix for the job and you know should we maybe expect them to hire a, a manager before the december 2nd deadline or could that be something that happens you know uh, well into after the new year maybe yeah, it sounds like it's going to happen not before the lockout, at least. Um, from what I've heard, the Mets are trying to get their their legs under them in this market and this free agency market, which I think is, for the record, the right way to go. I think in terms of on paper, the priority should be a manager, but they also need to start being aggressive because they need pitchers. Um, and clearly that market is moving fast. So I think they, of course, they can do, you know, they can walk and chew gum at the, the same time, hopefully. Hopefully Epler can at least do that. But um, in terms of naming the manager, I think there will be at least some weight. Um, it also depends what happens with the lockout. We're not completely sure yet. We can predict, but I don't think it's that imminent. In, in terms of names, um, there's not really that I've heard who they're, they're, they're signaling. They, like I said, Epler already said he wants to touch base with the Mets to see what they had in mind. Um, but some clues as to who they could go for. Um, these are names that have been tied to Epler in the past or Eric Chavez, um, and Joe Espada. And I think particularly those two, he was interested in while he was with the angels. Um, so I think it can make a comeback simply also because the Mets are very aware of the fact that they need some minority and diverse options, which sucks when they're just trying to fill the name on the paper for that reason. Um, but they've shown to do that in the past. So that can be those two names. Personally, I think they need an old school veteran manager in the dugout. Um, I've been saying this since before this evening ended. I think, you know, all, all praise to Luis Rojas for the most he could do. I think personally, he was put in a lose-lose situation. Um, he should not have been there in the first place. And that clubhouse, um, this staff, they need someone who has been through it decades with a credible um, winning record. And of course, these are not, of course, it seems like something that's a lofty list, but there are names right on the market in uh, Buck Showalter, who is never going to happen. But for example, this is someone that would fit perfectly with this dugout and that he can command a clubhouse, command a dugout. And that's what this roster needs right now. Yeah, I think uh, I, it's tough because I agree with Disha that in this instance, it might be best for the Mets to go for someone who has been there, who's got the experience. Um, but you, in that regard, if you do go someone in that route, you have to be able to also get someone that's going to still be able to connect the analytics to the field because the Mets are up to 26 people in the analytics department under Ben Salzmer. And um, Billy Epler was known for building up the analytics department in Los Angeles. Uh, we knew Cohen right from the get-go was going to want to the Mets to be heavily involved in that area. So the Mets are putting a lot of resources and a lot of people in that area. So even if it is an older school manager um, in terms of, I mean, we're talking about in terms of experience, you also have to get someone that's going to be able to mend those two um, between the experience and the analytics. Uh, I think that, I think that's a key component um show walter i yeah i i have a tough time seeing show walter um i know people have talked about uh shield mike shield that i mean so the kind of the whispers are the fact that 
he wasn't going towards the mold of analytics that the Cardinals wanted. So maybe, maybe that's not true. Maybe he's more willing to do it with the Mets. I think that would be interesting to see. Obviously he's going to be one of the ones I talked about quite a bit. Um, people were surprised that he was fired from the Cardinals after having success there. So I think that's definitely a name to name to keep in mind. Beyond that, I think you have to kind of wait and see. I know we've heard like connections with Billy Epler. It'll be interesting to see if how those connections kind of mold with what Sandy already had for a list. Cause I mean, we know Sandy already had a list. We know he wanted Bob Melvin. They tried to get Bob Melvin and just didn't work out. So it'll be interesting to see who they end up interviewing for manager and how it's kind of a different mix of the older school. And I think we'll see some guys like Joe Espada from the Astros too, that hasn't been a manager, but has been a bench coach on a very successful team. Interesting. And, you know, one name that I think about um, that I've taught, I haven't talked about before, but uh, he's was uh, the third base coach for the world now world champion uh, Atlanta Braves. What about someone like Juan, Ron Washington players love him. Um, we know he's a great third base coach, obviously, you know, and Keen is with that kind of stuff. Uh, defensively, he's great. We know he, you know, in the past had managerial success when he was in Texas, you know, went to a couple of World Series. Uh, what about a name like that, uh, would you think? Yeah, it's it's interesting because I, I wrote Ron, Ron Washington as my number one choice well before the Braves even won. This is like in the first week of October. Um, and that was just kind of going off my own opinion. And in that now it's been seven, six, seven weeks. Um in talking to people in the industry, it seems, of course, you would be kind of like Buck, a, a good choice for the role. And even with the analytics side, as Michael brought up a good point of blending those two, um, it's just that Ron Washington is the type of person, from what I've heard, that is not going to settle for the Mets shit. It's kind of like he is above the dysfunction and he is above the chaos. And, you know, he would be, in, in my sense, one of those candidates that, the, the GM candidates or front office candidates that walked away super early um, because they can kind of see the red flags. And so for that reason, I think Ron Washington is not even going to be considered um, by the Mets, but I think he absolutely should be, like you said, um, he would be a great choice to do it. No, oh, yeah, I think that's a good point. Um, I talked to someone last week who's friends with Ron Washington and kind of the same thing that he, he doesn't really want to come to New York and manage. And I think, I, I mean, it's tough to blame him. He, he's not a youngster anymore. He's coming off a world series. So I, I, I do think you would be a good choice. Like you talked about Sal. Um, there's a lot of reasons to like Ron Washington as a manager. I, I think he would fit a lot of the criteria that we've talked about, but I'm sorry. So I, I just don't see it happening either. <laughs> Good pick, though. <laughs> there seems to be a common theme of people that are good baseball folks not wanting to come to the Mets. And it's just it gets more frustrating by the day. Just anyone you bring up, they're like, eh, they're good. They don't want to come here. No, no, thanks. I don't love that. I thought that was going to change with new ownership, but um, it doesn't seem to be yet. But um, I wanted to you know, transition from that. And just real quick, I want to talk to you about Noah Syndergaard's you know, departure to the Angels. You know, were you surprised as everybody else about that? Yeah, initially I definitely was. When I saw how much effort, uh, read how much effort the Met, the Angels put into getting Noah, it didn't surprise me one bit. Um, at the core of Noah Syndergaard, he loves attention. He loves the drama. Um, he loves being seduced. And the Mets never did those things. They they really never in the final months, even dating back to before he got the Tommy John surgery, as long as I've been around the Mets, I haven't really heard any talks of a contract extension or making sure he's one of those assets that stays long term. Like we hear that a lot about Jacob Jerom, about how they value him pretty soon. We'll hear that about Pete Alonso when he gets closer right to that date. But with Noah, it was kind of never there. It, they, even in these fat final months, as we learned, um, it was just sort of, okay, we did the qualifying offer. We know that this is probably overpaying um, and that's it. It's not, it's there for you. And the angels went above and beyond and just what they can, um, what they think that he can produce for them in, in Los Angeles. And that really is at the core of Noah Syndergaard. So I think it doesn't surprise me at all that, that not, not to say that he fell for it, because I think the angels for sure have this plan laid out for him. They definitely gave him that money, um, but they're, they don't have a good history of taking care of their pitchers either. Um, so I think initially I was surprised because of Noah's 
comments when he said he would be grateful to stay with the Mets. And we didn't really know either when he was saying those comments, how this did, the starting pitching market um, would evolve the way it is now. It's moving so fast. So I think in, in retrospect, yes, super surprised. Um, but the way the Angels executed, props to them because they kind of saw their target, um, knew what their target would like and, and nailed it and, and got him. Yeah, I think, I mean, good for Noah for being able to get that type of deal after missing two years and getting more than the qualifying offer. Um, I think it's a weird fit for him simply because I don't think the Angels are winning anything this year, no matter what they spend. Um, so I think from the Angels side, for me, I I would be targeting a pitcher like Marcus Stroman instead of someone, someone like Noah Syndergaard. But yeah, I mean, it, it certainly was a little surprising in how it happened. Everything I, I think maybe him seeing the market for starting pitching, Eduardo Rodriguez, the deal he got coming off of having the qualifying offer from the Red Sox, I think that might have played a role in kind of his thinking and maybe even the Angels' aggressiveness in getting Noah, um, knowing that it was going to be a tough market. I mean, Verlander got two years, 50 million, and he hasn't pitched in a very long time. And he had the qualifying offer too. So, I mean, there's pitching is going to be expensive this off season. And um, I mean, the Mets are going to find that out at some point you would think if they decide they want to um, dig into that market. So, yeah, I think Syndergaard to the angels is it's a little bit of a weird fit to me, but uh, I mean, he's going to be in a six man rotation. So that's, I think that's a good selling point for him too, because that'll be able to get him um, longer into the season with his starts. Obviously he's not throwing 180 innings this year. So I think, I think that might've been a good selling point for him too, as the six man rotation. I think it's interesting that you had to start with, you know, give credit to Noah um, because of course, give credit to Noah. He, you know, had a good deal. He took it. Um, this portion of the Mets fan base that is blaming him. I don't get it, especially because after the fact, we've seen that he really is not taking it easy. It looks like Noah himself is also upset. You know, he's arguing with these um, John Heyman and my Francesa types and it, his Instagram, like kind of alluding to, he looks good and red. Now I think all of these are signs that, Hey, it's hard on him too like he's not easy for for him to leave a fan base that he's known for his whole career um so I think in, in that way like of course give credit to Noah but there has to be some empathy there as well in just like determining how he even got to that decision yeah and I think combined combine that with what Disha brought up earlier is the Mets have essentially showed no loyalty to their players whatsoever um in talks with extensions like Brendan Nimmo they still haven't talked to him. Uh, Michael Conforto, they never really had any serious conversations with him. Pete Alonso, you think might he might have been a guy to tie up some money, buy out some of the pre-arb and the arbitration, and the Mets haven't gone anywhere with that. Um, yeah, so I think it's a really bad sign that the Mets haven't really had any serious conversations with their top homegrown players. And... I think that all that's going to play into when you hit free agency. Um, hopefully that's something, I mean, it's tough to put a lot of that on Cohen and the myriad of GMs that they've had in the last 11 months. So um, hopefully that's something that changes going forward, but it'll be tough to try to, again, it'll be tough to try to work some of that in this off season with how much they have to do in a short period of time, but hopefully going forward, that's something that they're more cognizant of that they need to take care of their own players. No, it's interesting. And as far as, you know, with, with Syndergaard, I still, you know, still very surprised by it. Just, you know, goes to show, you know, think things can change and, and I can't knock anyone for getting money. Three more million dollars is three more million dollars. I understand. Can't knock it one bit. And to Mike, just quick to what you're saying, as far as like Mets not locking up kind of their homegrown talent core with extensions, I think, you know, my first thought, maybe it's, you know, with new brass and there's been, you know, management in and out now and they're trying to get their feet. Maybe they just don't know. They don't know what their core is yet as far as, you know, guys that they don't know that they want to keep around or, you know, something like that, you know, so I think that could be interesting. Um, but yeah, you know, just feels like, again, a lot of kind of sitting on their hands with that stuff, but wish Syndergaard the best, you know, in, in uh, LA 
And I wanted to go off of that to another picture the Angels scooped up that we're all mad about. Aaron Loop, we got two years, $17 million. Good for him, too, again, for getting paid off a career year. Disha, I just wanted to talk to you about that real quick and, you know, who you think the Mets could now maybe replace Loop in the bullpen. Yeah, I think the Aaron Loop, uh, (laughs) definitely I was more surprised by Loop, let's say, than than Syndergaard, just simply because for him it looked like for him to stay, all you needed to do was – write the blank check and he had the best not only season of his career but one of the best seasons as a reliever in the Mets franchise um so for any new let's say you know Billy Elper is not caught up yet on the roster um fine you know that can be his excuse there's absolutely no reason this should have just blown past Sandy Alderson and Steve Cohen um I think the at the heart of it they're really stuck this is especially Sandy Alderson and what we've seen from him in years prior um is that he gets very stubborn in these deals um he also did this with kind of the kumar rocker back and forth it was like nope we're gonna stick to our guns i think he's worth this much there's no way you're getting more than that um i think this is maybe you know internally coming to light with aaron loop and that they just wanted to stick to he kind of got overpaid with the angels that's fine he wasn't our closer anyway um now we can replace him with another southpaw which i for the record i don't believe is the right deal i think aaron loop absolutely of course deserved to stay with the mets and fans loved him um his warm-up song was awesome and for for all those reasons surprised but i think what they can turn their attention to now i think a good um kind of blowback or or if you want to punch the the angels back would be right Isel Iglesias. Um, I don't see it happening. I think what, from what I've seen, he would like to stay long-term anywhere. He's looking for a long-term deal. Um, and that's probably going to be with the team he's already on in the angels. Um, but if the Mets, you know, were <laughs> had at all an ounce of sort of emotion or, or anger about this loop deal, um, that's what I would do, right? Like take their man from them. Um, I've heard other reports of this other left-hander uh, Taylor Rogers from the twins. Um, that could be someone the, the Mets are eyeing, but the bottom line is no one is going to be as productive as Aaron loop was for them last year. And they had kind of found this gem um, and now he's gone. <laughs> so I think they can definitely replace him on a level of maybe Seth Lugo bouncing back could be another option that they can, you know, rest their, their hat on, but these are all just hopes. And, and Aaron loop was kind of a short thing that you can expect to do it again next year um, in the fishbowl of the big apple. And uh, yeah, so now it's gone. I was surprised at the amount that Luke got two years, 17 million, obviously. I mean, props to him. He's coming off a monster season. With that said, he also had an expected ERA of 3.05. So, I mean, going forward, the Mets, obviously, I mean, even the Angels giving him that money don't think that Aaron Loop is going to have a sub one ERA in 2022 and 2023. I think I don't have a huge issue with the overall process. Well, not the overall process, because I do have an issue with that, but the overall how it ended up that they didn't get loop at that price tag. I think there's plenty of relievers um, that left in relievers that you could potentially get to kind of fill what you think loop is probably going to do next year. I mean, loop is probably going to hover around the three RA and he's going to be okay at inherited runners. Like he was this year, he wasn't spectacular at um, inherited runners this year because he was still hit by righties a little bit. So um, I think someone like Jake Diekman, Andrew Chafin, both free agents, uh, Quang Hung Kim, we've talked about too, is another lefty free agent that I like. All three of those guys are options. They're all going to get significantly less than Loop did. Um, I know Rogers came up. They've had interest in Rogers in the past when they've talked to the Twins. Um It's also pretty known in the baseball world that those conversations with the twins didn't really end up well Um, with Minnesota being a little upset at the Mets for a couple of different reasons about (laughs) some of the leak, the leaks that came out from the Mets end. Um, So I'm not sure how eager the twins are about making any deals with the Mets right now. And that name being leaked the same night that Aaron Loop signed um, was an obvious Mets leak. So there again, I'm sure the Twins are super happy about um, a Mets leak talking about one of their players. So, I mean, that that's the type of guy you can target in trades. But, yeah, I think you go the free agent route, like Andrew Chafin, who I was talking about, or Kim, 
I, I think those guys, both of those guys can hover around a three ERA and uh, do what Luke did. I mean, Luke, for the most part, didn't pitch in a ton of high leverage situations. They still use Lugo and Diaz and May in those type of situations. So you're, you're really looking to um, get a loogie. And at two years, 17 million, um, obviously you'd love to have Luke back. He's a fan favorite and everything. But I, I do think there's potential for the Mets to still get production out of that loogie spot for less than what Luke got. I do love that the loogie spot still exists after the three batter minimum rule. Um, so that that's good that the, cause that was one of the things I predicted would just die. So, but we saw it play out with Aaron Luke too. So it's working. That's funny. That's a good point. And Mike, I just to, to loop, I do agree with you in the sense, like it's, it stings to see him go. Um, someone that was so productive, uh, but you know, that's, it is a lot of money for a guy that's, you know, not pitching in the eighth or the ninth inning, usually pitching sixth and seventh, you know, sixth or seventh inning guy. Um, and I think especially with relievers being kind of so volatile year to year, especially when guys have like monster years like that. Um, so I think they can replace, you know, his production um, elsewhere in the free agent market. You know, it'll be it'll just be more than anything interesting to see how like he does next year, if we can replicate anything sort of that, but uh, you know, wish him well and um, not too well if they uh, play the Mets next year, but you know, Besides that, um, is the, on the starting pitching free agent market, uh, things have been really heating up the last week, it seems like. And I just wanted to, you know, get your thoughts on when we think we could hear the Mets being aggressive in that front, you know, both with Marcus Stroman and then, you know, and obviously others. Yeah, I think uh, Stroman is a good one because um, he's a wild card in that way that I, I at least think he might be one of those at least bigger name starting pitchers that will wait. Um, until after the lockout but again he surprised me um, last year too by taking the qualifying offer so I do think he's like a true wild card in that sense that he's going to do what's best for him and whether that's just comparing dollar signs or if it does have to do more with his familiarity with New York and the organization Um, but those talks should have started informally a month ago you know there's there's no reason for the Mets to wait um, to sort of lure him back into the organization because they cannot especially after Syndergaard walked away um, the Mets cannot really afford to let Stroman go. And it's interesting because one thing that stands out to me about some of the bigger name um, free agents that teams like the Mets and Yankees acquire, when the Yankees got Garrett Cole, there was this big story about the Yankees getting his favorite uh, bottle of wine. And that it was a super expensive huge bottle of wine, but that really did a number on Cole. And then we heard about Lindor with his um, dinner with Steve Cohen. I think the Mets need to keep doing these things. And I think those things are not, you know, overrated at all of just like, just in the traditional sense of trying to get your big name player to, to come back with, with things like that and these intangibles sort of. So I would like to hear about, I haven't heard yet that the Mets have done things like that. I haven't heard about an expensive bottle of wine, but um, it would be great if they went that route. Why not throw all of these assets that Cohen already has right with his money toward them so um with Stroman I think those those talks should have started I think maybe what I'm hearing is that he's gonna wait at least until the lockout um but other than that they should be aggressive on the starting pitching market ASAP we've already seen teams come in and go out with Eduardo Rodriguez Verlander like Michael mentioned um they they should be in an on on it already I think Steven Matz is the first real activity that we've heard from the Mets of being showing any interest in a pitcher so far. Um, and while that would be great for their depth, um, that's not the arm that they need right now. The, they need at least two to three starting pitchers to, to help their rotation, their frontline rotation with the question marks they had. And Steven Matz is great, but he's not the answer. That's funny. You bring that up real quick. Do you think that the Mets could at there actually be a reunion between the Mets and Steven Matz. And I just want to also say that I agree with you totally. He's, you know, number five starter that that's someone you don't have to worry about right now. You need to get, you know, you need to get the front of the rotation figured out. But I wanted to ask you that real quick. Um, I think it's, there's not enough out there to know how Matz felt pitching in Toronto and getting out of the fishbowl of New York. Um, I tried like looking more of this up or reading more of those reports from Toronto about this, but there's just, I, I, I think to answer your question, I would need to know more about how he felt leaving New York, if he felt more comfortable. And that's, that's sort of what we saw, right? When we saw Matt's pitch, it was like, 
he might do better in another market. Um, and that did prove it was true last year, but I wonder if that was just enough to, to get his confidence and come back. And if that's even, you know, a, a reason for him, but it, returning to New York where, he, where he's from and where his family is, um, I think provides a storyline for that reunion that makes it possible. Awesome. Mike, let me get your thoughts. Yeah. I mean, first touching on Stroman, um, I know as of, I think it was like the day before Epler was announced um, that the Mets hadn't even reached out to Stroman yet, which I mean is bizarre. Like Disha said, they should be courting him, um, talking to him. I mean, someone should be talking to him on a daily basis from the Mets side until he's signed with the Mets or signed with someone else. You're talking about the guy who was your number two starting pitcher last year and one of the best starting pitchers on the market. So for them to not even have reached out at that point is just bad for me. Um, it kind of, and it, it's, I guess it's not shocking at this point because we know that they didn't really talk to Syndergaard either. They just gave him the qualifying offer and it was like, he's either going to take it or he's not going to take it. And I, I mean, I think that's a pretty terrible approach again to your own players um, trying to keep them. You, you should be in contact with them pretty constantly talking about what they, what their wants. I mean, and we're not just talking about money. Like Disha said too, making these guys feel comfortable with an organization. And I think for the Mets, it's not only something they should be doing, but right now should be doing overtime after everything that's happened in the last 11 months. And the fact that they still don't have a coaching staff and everything. So you should be trying to do what you can to make these guys feel comfortable. Um, Stroman's one of the better pitchers on the market but he's also in the people i've talked to in baseball it's so crazy the ups and downs you hear from different organizations they a lot of organizations have a completely different view on stroman i talked to one team that could see him getting six years 150 million like up to that point because they liked his durability they liked his openness to um, work with analytics teams that was a huge plus for them um, and then I talked to another team that was really put off by some of the stuff that he does on social media and how he portrays himself on social media. Obviously they still liked him as a pitcher, but that was, that was a concern for them. I mean, teams look at that stuff these days. So it'll be interesting to see where he ends up and how, what he ends up getting for a deal. We've seen pitchers get paid pretty well. So I think he's obviously going to get paid pretty well, but I do agree with Disha that the potential for him to kind of wait out the lockout is there because he, in terms of like we talked about with durability and staying on the fields and productivity, there's not really anyone else on the market that can match that. So um, he's kind of holding the golden ticket per se in this market. So um, yeah, I think he waits it out which makes it tougher for the Mets because the Mets really, they need starting pitching. So how, how do you wait it out with Stroman not knowing? So you do have to sign. I know we talked about Mats. Obviously, like you said, Sal, he's pretty much a fifth starter at this point. Um, I think he's a viable fifth starter. I know um, three years, 39 million has been kind of floated out there as the number because uh, Anthony DiSlefani got three thirty-six. And one of the reports was that Mats was just a little bit above that potentially. Um, there's eight teams that have offers out for him already. Um, in part because Matt's told people that he wants to sign soon. So I think we're going to see a conclusion to that in the next day or so. I still I have a tough time imagining him back with the Mets in his first press conference in Toronto. He himself mentioned that he thought a change of scenery could help maybe his thought process changed being outside of New York for a year and um, eventually money talks too. If the Mets give him the best offer, I, I, I highly doubt Matt's is turning down the best offer to go elsewhere. But I, th I think a team like the Red Sox are going to be aggressive. Uh, the Cardinals are another team that makes sense, but I mean, there's other starting pitching out there too. We haven't talked about like Kevin Gausman or John Gray um, Kikuchi that we talked about before a little bit. There's still some starting pitching out there, but the Mets have got to get on it. I mean, Rodriguez is signed, Verlander signed, Woods signed, DiSlefani signed, um, Andrew Haney signed. 
a once pretty thick market is starting to not look that way anymore. Yeah, the, the big whale is still Scherzer, right? So we haven't heard uh, where he's going to go, but I really don't see the Mets being in on him, of course, either. Yeah, I think Scherzer, I mean, obviously he's, he's the big dog in terms of talent left on the market and in terms of what he's going to get per year, too. I mean, Scherzer's going to get a short-term deal that's worth a lot of money. I mean, not it's not anything I've seen reported. I just I have a tough time seeing him outside of the West Coast. I know we've kind of mentioned that South too. Um, but I mean, yeah, if, if I'm the Mets, I'm throwing a lot of money at Max Scherzer and hoping he accepts it. And that is another, just to your point of uh, sort of Mets at this point being a, a fifth starter. Um, in my view, it's the, the Mets saw two candidates that could be their fifth starters in Tyler McGill and, uh, and Peterson over the last couple of years. And, to me, I think those two fresh faces are, are better than Matt's, <laughs> um, just for the record. And even in terms of growth within the organization and sort of taking sort of a, a, another chance on Matt's and, and perhaps the, the turmoil, turmoil that accompanies pitching in New York. No, absolutely. And it's just, it's funny to me, you know, eight teams being in on Steven Matt's pits, you know, 150 innings last year, like a three and a half or above a three and a half ERA or whatever it was. And teams are clamoring for him. And it's just shows to the state of, you know, the fragility of starting pitching in baseball right now. And yeah. to me, it just bodes again to why Marcus Stroman's kind of a must son because he pitches every fifth day. Um, you know, again, may, may not be, you know, probably paying overpaying more so for the consistency than maybe the um, level of success. But a guy that takes the ball every fifth day, have we seen that's a hot commodity now in baseball because there's not a lot of people that can do it. So it'll be, you know, very interesting. You know, I'd love for Scherzer to be here. You know, throw him two years, 90 million. Please take it, run, come here. I'd love it. I know that's probably not going to happen because anyone I like doesn't come here and is what it is. I'm getting used to it. Um, but kind of the last question I had for you as far as free agency goes, I wanted to switch to the position players. And I wanted to think, you know, see when you think we could see some of those big name position players like the Chris Bryant's of the world, um, you know, the Correa's, you know, when they could possibly sign and how much does like the possibility of a lockout maybe factor into these guys, maybe signing over the next week or, or waiting it out like someone or Stroman who possibly could. Yeah, I think it definitely looms large for position players more than, than starting pitchers simply because they know they're, they're not as replaceable. Um, so for teams that, you know, they, they know they want to stick with or, or go to um, they're going to be the targets either way. So, so why not wait, right. To see what the new CBA would bring and what the lockout would bring. And, and if it could potentially bring them even more money um, they're getting now. And I don't see that market heating up, of course, in the, in the next week, it's crazy that the lockout would already be here in a week. And it also sucks because we can see how fun the hot stove season is already. And for it to just end or, or pause, it just, it, it would really put a damper on, on the sport and then the sport itself can't afford it, but that's not your question. So to, to answer your question, I think definitely um, it, it plays a huge impact for position players and, and they're going to wait for that reason. Yeah. I know um, like Jeff Passan reported, I think it was like a week ago. Now it was before our last episode that we could see Corey Seager and Carlos Correa sign um, before the lockout. Um, there hasn't been a lot of movement in that area. I think maybe, the Yankees kind of, or the reports of the Yankees essentially backing out of that market might change, change that quite a bit because there was an early assumption that that the Yankees were going to go after one of those big time uh, shortstops, and that without the Yankees in the market, that kind of changes a lot of things. Obviously, we know Korea is talked to Detroit, and he sat down with Hinch. Um, if there's something that is a big guy that is done before the lockout, I could see, see it being him simply because a lot of the speculation coming into the off season was look out for the tigers to start spending some money. Um, they, they, they made the first move. They traded for Tucker Barnhart. Um, then they signed Rodriguez. Um, they like Rhea. So they need a shortstop, obviously. I mean, that's that's a move I could see happening before the lockout just because of the special circumstances there. But yeah, otherwise, I mean, Chris Bryant, um, he's he's a guy who's met with a bunch of teams over the last week and there's been a lot of interest there. But I don't, I don't think there's any good reason for him to sign uh, beforehand unless, of course, he gets like a crazy deal. Um, 
Javi Baez was a guy that has been talked about as someone who could potentially sign before. Um, I know the Mets have shown interest there, obviously. Um, they've been, from what I've heard, is there's kind of um, a tear in the organization between people that think Baez is a good long-term investment and some people in the analytics team that don't think that. Um, I, I don't think that's a crazy thought process. Uh, mm-hmm. I think that's how a lot of front offices are going to see Baez. I think there's going to be a lot of front offices that talk about bias that there's going to be people in the room that are kind of torn or against him. I mean, he's a, he's not a sure thing when it comes to offense, when you're talking about the high strikeouts. Um, He obviously showed in a short time with the Mets that he has the ability to take more pitches, but how much is he actually going to do that over the next, whatever you're giving him, whether it's four or five, six, seven years, um, I think he's definitely an interesting piece and uh, it'd be interesting to see just how aggressive the Mets are with him. Cause it sounded like when Alderson was just looking at player acquisitions that the Mets were going to be pretty aggressive there and it's, it's kind of backed off now. So in the next couple of days, it'll be interesting to see how Epler plays into that and what his, I mean, we'll kind of find out what his thought process is on that type of player. Yeah. Interesting. You know, it goes, but I just keep going back to how the Mets are super behind the eight ball and they got to get moving. Um, maybe the lockout helps them in that sense. Cause maybe, you know, if a lot of these big name players don't sign the Mets kind of have time to catch their breath and get their feet underneath them. So maybe it can kind of work out in their favor, but uh, typically I don't like that. You know, in sports, you kind of have to be aggressive and strike while the iron's hot. So, you know, I'd like to see them maybe at least do something over the next week. If they could bring back Baez. you know, just, just, uh, you know, put something good taste in fans mouths before, you know, the, the kind of the probable lockout happens, but you know, that's all we have for this week. Disha, thank you so much for coming by. This was a great conversation. Uh, everyone tune in next week for all the latest in Mets land. Hopefully there won't be a lockout, but if there is, they'll be, we'll be here to cover everything. But until then, uh, get mesmerized. Yeah, man.